I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. Most of the headlines today are focused on President Biden's address, State of the Union address, last night. A lot of discussion by talking heads across the country in terms of what the president said, what he didn't say, what he should have, could have, would have, might have said. I think as a political speech, you could score the president very high. The question is, is the State of the Union supposed to be a political speech? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. I've been saying throughout the day today, I think the president did very well last night. I think he won the political day, to be sure. Uh, But I also have to question, is that what the State of the Union is all about? If you go back to what we broke down Yesterday, leading into the speech, go right back to Article 2, Section 3, Clause 1. And the purpose of the speech is to give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as as he shall judge necessary and expedient. Now, there were some necessary and expedient things, I think, in the context of the president's speech. And there was a lot that was not necessary or expedient, but political. And that's where we have to start looking at things. And we'll get into all of this in terms of uh, the Republicans' response, how that all played out. But ultimately, we have to get to what does this actually mean to the American people? What does it mean to the future of the country? And how do we move forward with this? It's an important duty the president, regardless of political party, has. It's in the Constitution. uh, So it is one of those requirements. Now, it can be done in writing, by the way. Many presidents just uh, issued their State of the Union in writing to Congress. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, the president had a big stage, a big speech, uh, and he gave a big speech, uh, the, lo- the most words ever in history, over the last 60 years anyway, uh, in terms of how many words he used in his speech. We'll break that down as we go along. But let's go through some of the components, and again, where I think the president did well, where he struck the right tone, where he had the right message. And I actually thought right out of the gate, the president was very strong. He began the speech by congratulating the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. You know, uh, I start tonight by congratulating the 118th Congress and the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Speaker, I don't want to ruin your reputation, but I look forward to working with you. <laughs> okay, that was political genius. That was very well done. The president played it just perfect, uh, congratulating the Speaker. It allowed him to do that. Uh, gave him a chance to, to crack a little joke, break the ice just a little bit. It also gave him the opportunity to acknowledge Hakeem Jeffries as the minority leader and the first African-American to be the minority leader in the House of Representatives. So that was a great political opening salvo for the president. 
Uh, the president uh, was uh, very good off the cuff last night. And one of the interesting areas was this area of Social Security. Now, we're going to come back to this in our fact checking of the State of the Union, because there were some things that were clearly uh, misleading at best uh, that the president said about sunsetting, getting rid of Social Security. But the way he played this out was really interesting. I want you to take a listen to this. The president talks about uh, a program by Republicans. It was one Republican uh, Senator Rick Scott from Florida and a proposal about sunsetting things like Social Security and Medicare. Uh, of course, there was a rousing negative reaction to that from Republicans. And then the president made a very shrewd political pivot as he moved it forward. Take a listen. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means that the idea is that we're not going to be we're, we're not going to be moved into being threatened to default on the debt if we don't respond, folks. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security, and Medicare is off the off the books now. Right? They're not going to be fine. All right. Again, an A for politics. That was a good political joust session there with Republicans. Uh, but again, also not totally honest uh, and very misleading in terms of where things are. Uh, and again, that was just politics at politics. And again, that's, politics is okay. In the State of the Union, I think we've got to approach it a little different. And presidents of both parties have made this such a political speech I mean, to the point where we have members of the Supreme Court, who just won't even come anymore because it's not no longer a state of the union. Uh, it's a state of politics. Uh, and there's no reason for a, a sitting member of the Supreme Court to be at a political rally uh, rather than a state of the union address. I think that's an important thing we've got to come back to. We'll do that in the next segment. Uh, also reference, referencing his priorities, um, uh, or excuse me, the president was talking about some of the economic components. We talked about this yesterday, how the president could balance the fact that Americans are dealing with the impact of high inflation and what, that's do, what that is doing around the kitchen table. And so the president went all in populist and talked about all kinds of things uh, that are very low-hanging fruit and easy to cheer for when it comes to things like junk fees. My administration is also taking on junk fees, those hidden surcharges too many companies use to make you pay more. For example... We're making airlines show you the full ticket price up front. Refund your money if your flight is canceled or delayed. We reduce exorbitant bank overdrafts. We're cutting credit card late fees. We're going to ban surprise resort fees. We can stop service fees on tickets to concerts and sporting events and make companies disclose all the fees up front. And we'll prohibit airlines from charging $50 round trip for family just to be able to sit together. Baggage fees are bad enough. Airlines can't treat your child like a piece of baggage. Americans are tired of being. We're tired of being played for suckers. So pass. Pass the Junk Free Prevention Act so companies stop ripping us off. All right. Very populist messages there. I don't know that anybody anticipated that we would be talking about uh, the fees for tickets to uh, concerts and uh, movies or resort uh, surcharges and so on. Uh, again, very populist message where the president is trying to say, hey, 
I know, I know it's hard. I know you're hurting in a lot of these areas. So I'm going to, some of these things that you just like and some of these things that you really hate, uh, I'm going to go after those. Uh, and that was kind of the low hanging fruit that the president went at. And he went at it very well last night. Uh, also referencing his priorities uh, over the past year, the president went back to something he introduced at last year's State of the Union, which was his unity agenda. And here's the update. When I came to office, most assured that bipartisanship assumed was impossible, but never believed it. That's why a year ago I offered a unity agenda to the nation as I stood here. We made real progress together. We passed the law making it easy for doctors to prescribe effective treatments for opioid addiction. We passed the gun safety law making historic investments in mental health. We launched the ARPA-H drive for breakthrough in the fights against cancer, Alzheimer's, and diabetes, and so much more. We passed the Heath Robinson Pact Act, named after the late Iraq War veteran whose story about exposure to toxic burn kits I shared here last year. But there's so much more to do. We can do it together. So the president got into that. I think that was an important part of the speech, getting to the unity pieces, dealing with cancer, with our veterans, uh, those are all crucial pieces of the puzzle and some areas where bipartisanship is uh, clearly possible. So I, I think on all of those fronts, the president did uh, extremely well last night. Uh, we're going to stay with the conversation a little bit longer. Again, I think the president scored an A when it comes to a political speech, a little less enthusiastic when it comes to what a State of the Union speech should be. Uh, and as always, I want to be both the equal opportunity offender and op- equal opportunity commender because there were some things I thought he did incredibly well last night. We'll get to the Republicans' response and how that played out as well. But I think the more important part of all of this that we have to look at beyond the headlines and who scored and who's up in the polls or down in the polls is what is the what is the president laying out that is needed and necessary expedient for the country? And what is Congress doing about those issues? I think there's a host of them. I think it's interesting to look at not only what the president said last night, but what the president did not say, what he did not address uh, in the midst of a speech that extended for an hour and 13 minutes. And so we're going to continue to break this down. We'll also do some fact checking, not in a nitpicky kind of way, but in a way to make sure we're all looking at the truth, because then we can make the right decisions to get the right policies, to get the right outcomes for the American people. We'll stay with the conversation. Stick around. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Well, there are many responses to President Biden's speech last night as we've been breaking it down, taking a look at what it was, what it was not. Uh, again, I gave the president an A in terms of a political speech. He was uh, shrewd. He was quick. Uh, he sustained his energy through an hour and 13 minutes. Uh, so it was one of the longest State of the Union addresses in history. Of course, Bill Clinton still holds the record at uh, one hour and 28 minutes. But interestingly, uh, President Biden actually spoke more words. He beat he beat uh, President Clinton by a single word. What nine thousand 
191 words in President Biden's State of the Union address. Uh, Bill Clinton uh, just clocked in at 9,190. So there you go. A new record set for a number of words in a State of the Union address. And we want to get uh, to a couple of things as as we move this forward. Uh, one, I want to talk for just a second about the response, uh, both the response in the chamber uh, and then, of course, the formal response, which was offered uh, by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas, and, of course, the former spokesperson uh, for the Trump administration. Uh, but let's start with the president. Uh, I think one of the things the president hit uh, was his efforts to lower the federal deficit and contrasted his progress with the previous administration's increase in the deficit uh, over four years. Take a listen. In the last two years, my administration has cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion, the largest deficit reduction in American history. (laughs) Under the previous administration, the American deficit went up four years in a row. Because those record deficits, no president added more to the national debt in any four years than my predecessor. Nearly 25% of the entire national debt that took over 200 years to accumulate was added by just one administration alone, the last one. They're the facts. Check it out. All right. Uh, Again, the president calling that out. We're going to fact check the president uh, coming up at the top of the hour with the Washington Post. They did some interesting fact checking on that. And again, the, the numbers are accurate. The deficit did go down. Uh, The vast majority of that, almost all of that, uh, was because of the expiring programs that were launched during the pandemic. And so, of course, as those come off the books and stop, uh, that appears to be savings, but it's not a whole lot of savings, really. Uh, They still added in terms of actual spending. So we'll break that down. Again, political speech versus State of the Union, that's the target. That's what it's about. Now, the response to the State of the Union is uh, is not a constitutional <laughs> issue, uh, but it is something that both parties have done uh, for a long, long time. And sometimes there's been some bright moments. Most of them have just been a little messy and a little awful. Uh, and I think last night was a, a big swing and a miss as uh, the newly uh, sworn in Ar- governor of Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, of course, was uh, prominent in the Trump administration. And she went to a place that I just I didn't think it it flew at all. Uh, so let's take a, a listen to some of what she had to say, really focused on the president's age and a desire to have new leadership, not just in Washington, but in the Republican Party as well. Interesting, subtle message. I'll be the first to admit President Biden and I don't have a lot in common. I'm for freedom. He's for government control. At 40, I'm the youngest governor in the country. And at 80, He's the oldest president in American history. Governor Sanders went on to uh, call on a new generation to bring new ideas, new vigor to leadership in the country. It's time for a new generation to lead. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. A generation moored to our deepest values and oldest traditions, yet unafraid to challenge the present order and find a better way forward. So I think that was interesting. I think that was both uh, a shot at President Biden, but I think it was also a little shot across the bow at her former boss, uh, President Trump, uh, saying that it was time to turn the page, that we needed new leadership in the country, that they wanted new leadership in the Republican Party. So I think that's a very interesting thing. And I want to take a minute to talk about some of the things that the president didn't talk about. This is always interesting to kind of look at the word cloud 
component uh, to a speech of this nature. Because what he didn't talk about or only briefly talked about, I think is every bit as telling as what he chose to focus on. So here's some interesting things. This was all compiled by uh, CNN. They tracked it, uh, created the word the word cloud for it all. And so here's some things that I thought were very interesting. Uh, the president spent uh, one minute and 46 seconds talking about China. He only spent a minute and 58 seconds talking about Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I can't remember a State of the Union that had less content about the United States' role in the world. And so I thought that was really interesting. Uh, he spent a good chunk of time talking about veterans, which I think is great. About four, almost five minutes, four minutes and 49 seconds, he talked about veterans uh, and that need. I think that's a, a real crucial one. Uh, really telling, uh, when it comes to the federal deficit, uh, the president only spent one minute and 40 seconds, uh, which I think shows how serious both sides are about really dealing with our spending problems in Washington, D.C. No, neither side is really serious about it. Uh, and I'm going to repeat what I have often said, and that is that you cannot get $32 trillion in debt through conflict. Conflict is not the problem when it comes to our spending. It's collusion. It's both sides. It's backroom deals. It's stuff that gets stuffed into bills last minute uh, that continues to to rack up uh, that deficit spending. So the president only spent a minute and 40 talking about that. Uh, he spent just a couple minutes on guns. He only spent one minute and seven seconds on immigration and the border, which I also thought was interesting because there was a, a moment of unity around the deaths that are happening around fentanyl. And uh, and yet we know a lot of that is coming across the border, not necessarily an immigration issue uh, as much as it is just a border security issue. Uh, also, that ties into China. The ingredients that are being used to manufacture the fentanyl that's coming up from the southern border, it's coming from China. So interesting that uh, he didn't get to any of those components uh, in the midst of the speech. I think that was a bit of a swing and a miss for the president. I thought he could have leaned into that uh, in a big way. Uh, Obviously, as we've spoken about, he spent a lot of time uh, really getting to some of those things that just said, hey, I'm fighting for you on fees from your bank and fees from the people who are selling you tickets to concerts. Uh, We're going to go after that. Uh, So very, a very populist focus for the president. And that gives you a real indication in terms of where we're going politically, because it was mostly a political speech. It was a lot of trial balloons, I think, for 2024. And this is where, again, I'll be equal opportunity offender and commender. I'll commend the things that are right and good, and I will offend uh, and call out the things that I just don't think belong in a state of the union. And I don't know which party or which president it will be who finally says, let's restore this Let's restore this to what it's supposed to be. It's about the State of the Union. And it's about things that are expedient and necessary to the future of the country. And when we get so caught up in the politics of it all, we often miss the more important principles and policies that we need to be having real conversations about, not sweeping generalities, not applause lines. Uh, And I think we also have to get back to this basic idea of dignity and respect and decorum. Uh, There was a lot of analysis about the decorum of Republicans in the chamber, and I agree. Uh, I don't buy into that. I don't think it's helpful. Uh, I don't think it advances anything. And yes, both sides have been guilty. You can go back uh, to Joe Wilson uh, 
saying the president was a liar, calling that out uh, as a member of Congress. You can go to Nancy Pelosi uh, taking the State of the Union speech and tearing it up uh, while standing in front of then-President Donald Trump. That kind of decorum uh, has no business in the people's house. It is not the house for members of Congress to have performative politics and get a social media moment. That is not what that house was built for. That's not what the State of the Union calls for. And it's up to us uh, as we the people to call it out. And regardless of which side of the aisle does it or what they say about it, uh, it's up to us to channel them and say, I want you to talk about the real issues and I want you to do it in a way that's respectful and meaningful and that will help us move the nation forward. All right, we'll step aside for some bottom-of-the-hour news. We'll continue our assessment of what the president did and did not do and what comes next. So stick around. We'll talk about that. And uh, we'll talk about trust in government, which I think is a fallout of what we saw last night. We'll talk to uh, Cardi Cooperman coming up next. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.